Hey, the trunk uh, looks kind of small there, Anton. This is live. I'm on live TV. Trunk's fine. As you can see, friend, it's not small. It's a big trunk. I'll show you right here. Well, you got a dead hooker in the trunk. What? No, it can't be. Yes, it was. It was a dead hooker. It wasn't a dead hooker! Pal, I know a dead hooker when I see one. What's happening? Hey, folks, yeah, come on hey, down. Hey, here's another oh, dead hooker in this That's... trunk. What? Oh, my goodness. What are you doing? I've never seen so many dead hookers in all my life. Lord knows I have. Chris Kowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I discuss the film that is breaking film Twitter. That is James Wan's Malignant. We're also going to start our little mini marathon of films named after specific people. This time we're kicking it off with Kate, starring uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And then Matt and I are going to share our five favorite James Wan scenes. As always, of course... We'll fill you in on the big picks on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week as well. So, Matt, let's start everything off with a clip from Malignant. So, it's becoming more apparent that not only is Gabriel getting stronger, he's becoming more malicious. If his strength and ability continue to grow at this rate, we will no longer be able to contain him. However... I am still determined. Dr. Weaver, he got out again. How far did he get this time? He made it all the way to the records room before we got to him. He found his information. He wants to go home. <laughs> Dr. Fields, what the hell is happening? I tried to subdue him with ECT, but the electroshock had no effect on him. Then all the machines started going crazy. It was like he was drinking the electricity and controlling our machines. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right, Matt. James Wan returns with Malignant after, uh, what did we say, like, dipping his toe in the action franchise that is the Fast and Furious films. Though his bones, Matt, he's made his bones making horror movies, responsible for the Saw franchise, Conjuring, right? Uh, Dead Silence, a a film I actually rather enjoy. The Insidious series. This is kind of your go-to guy, Matt, for horror franchises. So... What it looks like is after he makes like a billion dollars with Aquaman, I feel the studio's like, all right, Juan, do what you want to do. And this is what he does. So, Matt, why don't you tell the fine folks at home, what is Malignant all about? But I'm begging you, be very careful with what you say. Okay, I will do my best. So a young woman named Madison is in an abusive relationship and she is trying to... um, have babies but she's had multiple miscarriages one night she's the victim of a home invasion that uh, attacks her and her husband and that kind of descends into this person continuing to stalk them and bring suspicion onto her actions that's not bad you did an exceptionally good job of avoiding <laughs> discussing what malignant is all it's about. two weeks in a row baby didn't spoil <laughs> shang chi either very nicely done so, Matt, I look at Malignant as Juan's response possibly to elevated or art house horror. And I think I have revealed, if you follow us on social media at all, particularly Twitter, 
I had revealed, I think, my feelings about Malignant. So, Matt, I guess my question for you, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, is, is Malignant drowned out by all of its homages to past horror films? And what are your thoughts generally? I don't know if I would say drowned out. It's definitely, its influences are on its sleeve. and But I think those influences are pretty deep cuts. I think you have to be a certain fan of, of a time period in horror, like 70s, 80s kind of horror. Um, you have to be a fan of some of the more smaller, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Smaller entries in the in the genre, body I, horror. Yeah, uh, I also kind of, I looked at it as more as an incredible homage to indie horror, particularly mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. There is right. some stuff from the 90s or some stuff from the aughts. There is, but it's not as strong, I think, as the carryover of stuff from like, Frank Henenlotter, Larry Cohen, Mario Bava, Cronenberg, De Palma mm-hmm. and Argento too. I mm-hmm. mean, it is just a a cornucopia of delights for the uh, true horror fan. Cornucopia. That's that's uh, that's a bold statement. I mean, I think you know, I think it's quite effective. I don't know if I, as someone who's kind of steeped in all that language, I at times was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of cool kind of thing. And at at points, some, there were some particularly scary portions of it and there were some particularly exciting portions of it, but at times it was kind of like, okay, you're going a little heavy handed with the homages here, Juan. So I think he maybe could have dialed it back a little bit, but overall I think it's pretty successful. I, I enjoyed it. Um, And I will say, obviously, I knew what was coming probably in the first 15 minutes of this film, um, mm. even quicker than that. But at the same time, it's just because I'm so steeped in this. So it'll be interesting. I would be curious to see if somebody who's not a big horror fan or at least doesn't have as much of a background as we do thinks of this film. Yeah, I don't think this film is going to work at all for the casual horror fan or mm. just the cinema, the general casual cinema goer themselves. If you're not as you said, steeped in this stuff. If you're not a, not the gatekeep, but a real fan of horror films and you understand the entomology, the history of all this stuff, I think A, a lot of this is either A, going to fall flat for you, B, look bad, look ridiculous. You're going to watch this and say, oh my God, this script is atrocious. These performances are horrible. All right, but the problem is that's what Juan's going for. And he gives up the game, I think. Everything just crystallizes with me with the, with the re- reveal of the family relation. How he zooms in to the sister, right? And then her reaction and then that cover of Where's My Mind starts. And if you don't get where we're going when that happens, then this thing's not going to work for you. And I think that is a damn pity. I agree with you, Matt. I think the Juan telegraphs the reveal on this thing pretty early. Uh, I figured out where this was going pretty fast. But i got to tell you, when the reveal hits, it is done so well that I did not care. It is so unsettling and crazy. Like the rest of the whole film is, is that you just, you just got to sit down, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. I was smiling and laughing throughout the entire film. And if you're in the camp where you think that this is, again, a failure, that Juan didn't realize how bad this was going to be or he's not in on the joke, that scene, I think, with the family reveal, Matt, tells you he knows exactly what he's doing. I agree. Like, I think I know – I think – 
that he knows what he's doing. I mean, even if you watch his old um, horror films, like The Conjuring still has a lot of the same DNA in it. It's like those old British haunted house films. It's like a lot of this um, 80s um, Euro nasty type stuff. And I think that's just kind of built into the DNA of his films. And I think he just really takes this to the nth degree. He kind of just throws all caution to the wind, throws you know all of his like a love letter to all these kind of films that he loves. And it's, it's right out there again, as somebody who is really into all that stuff, I, I quite enjoyed it, but I, again, I don't think this is going to have a broad appeal as something of like insidious or, or the conjuring. No, I, I agree with you. I don't think it will. I mean, from the opening, which has this, this is where I'm going to give you a little bit of the nineties and odd stuff, right? That dark castle, almost replication of the house on haunted Hill opening shot. But then we get into the hospital that has this kind of amicus where we did a couple of those those anthology films last year, the British ones, the amicus mm-hmm. slash creep show opening. And then that dreadful, at times, soap opera dialogue and delivery in the score. Oh, what a glorious score this film has. And you can tell that it's all on purpose, right? If this film is so over the top, Matt, that for me, it becomes art. He is making a particular film for a particular audience. And that audience is definitely, I'm a member of that audience. Absolutely. And I could not have been happier about this experience. There's so many things, right? I mean, there, the fact that our bad guy's name is Gabriel. And if you know the story, if you know basket case at all, which I think this, one of the films that this movie borrows from or pays homage to, which is uh Hennen Lauder's film about, well, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but anyway, the character in there is named Belial. And if you know at all that the in bi- biblically Belial is a demon who actually fights Gabriel, right? So clearly there's there's a there's that little tie in there. As we said, we have Larry Cohen, Bava, some Argento. There's a, the Giallo stuff, you know, because we have the black gloves, right, and the uh, f- close ups and the the over artsiness of a lot of the set designs as well, which is a, uh, a hallmark of the. Italian Jalo films, but I think that's kind of where it ends. He does kind of just mishmash all of this stuff together. And for me, Matt, it was a, a, just a smashing, smashing success. I think a new cult classic film has been born, and this film will live on, I think, through the decades. Really, I, I think it's that good. It's one of the best films I've seen this year, but you're right. The mass appeal isn't there, but this thing is going to live on, I think, for a very long time. So how do you modern cult classic? Sorry. Yeah, I uh, I can see that happening. I think there could be a a really um, devoted following to this, and it probably will grow um, grow outsized in reputation. But I guess my question to you is like, how do you grade this? Do you grade this for maybe you give you give me two grades? What's your grade as you, Chris Pedescalzo, host of the first run extraordinaire, and what would it be to I don't know casual movie fan if you were recommending this to somebody who the broader masses. I, I don't know how to answer that second question because the problem is for me that this is hands down without, I'm not even blinking an eye. This is an A film. Absolutely. Cause okay. he, Juan sets out to do something and he knocks it out of the park. He nails it. Now, if I'm, I just, I don't know how to interpret it through the lens of somebody who's. If you don't care about horror, if you're not, a, or you just go to the movies once in a while to see the new Jurassic World film, you're probably going to hate this because a, you're not going to be in on the joke, you're not going to get all the references, 
So you probably won't appreciate it. I'm not comfortable giving it a grade because it's, this is going to sound crazy, but it's, it's, it's a betrayal of everything that I know and everything that I believe in. <laughs> and I, you know, it was, I can just, I'll just tell you that I think for the casual movie, this may not work. You may think it's poorly acted. It's really disjointed. It doesn't make any sense. The acting, you know, it's, the, the script is horrible, but the whole thing is, that's the point of what we're doing here. This is a genre exercise that is just a smashing success. So yeah. I'm not sure, but I'm giving it an A. Absolutely. Okay. No, no reservations whatsoever. Yeah, I don't think I'm in love with this film as much as Chris is. I think I am a big horror fan. I've seen a lot of these films, but I don't have the same depth of affection for these genres that a lot of Chris does or these kind of subgenre pieces of it. So I'm going to give it a, a B plus. I think it's a really good, solid film, but I don't think... I still don't think, because I talk about this a lot, I don't think it's like the one horror film that we're going to get that's going to blow everybody away. Whether Probably we'll get not. one this year, I don't know. I don't know, but um, I don't think this is it. I get That's too bad. I mean, this thing is just, oh, it's so much fun. I cannot tell you, Matt, I was laughing throughout the whole thing, smiling and getting freaked out all at the same time. Really, top shelf stuff. Malignant currently available in theaters and streaming on hbo max if you've had a chance to see it please shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com matt I, i'm gonna watch this again absolutely this is the first film that we've seen this year that i am desperate to rewatch. i almost when i was pulling clips for the show i almost rewatched it twice doing that because i got kind of got sucked into it as i was searching for clips but unfortunately i had to do other things either way we'd love to hear from you the film that's dividing the uh film internet let us know your thoughts. Coming up in physical media, Matt, this upcoming Tuesday, September 21st. Just let me say, too, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I was partially concerned that you were going to hate this thing. No, I didn't hate it. I mean, it's well put together. And, like, I think as long as you know what's what's going on with this and why he's doing what he's doing, I think you can kind of go along with it and have a good time. I just um, I just think if you're not really familiar with those films, it's it's going to be a little... It's lowbrow. It's going to be a little highbrow for you. Fair enough. All right. Physical media, upcoming Tuesday. One of my favorite comedies, Matt, that I have not watched in 20, 30 years. And I almost bought this digitally a few times. And I may pull the trigger on this Blu-ray release. But I am terrified that it's not going to hold up. But we'll see. Well, Marlo. Damn it. You didn't do what I told you. You know how I hate that dumb way of wearing your shirt button with no tie. Let me get you a tie. Here. This one's blue, but you can wear it with brown. You annoy me. I annoy you. You come in here with no tie. You drunk? How many have you had? One martini. I knew I was going to see you. Sit down. Here's what I want you to do. There's a list of names. I found it in a bowl of soup. Don't ask me to explain. I think they're all dead. I want you to check them out. Marl, put this on for me, huh? As a favor. It's a clip-on. That is a clip from Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Another genre experiment, Matt, from Carl Reiner and Steve Martin, where it, the film is actually intercut with clips from classic film noir movies as Steve Martin navigates this mystery that he's heard uh, a clip with Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Burt Lancaster, Fred McMurray, Ingrid Bergman, and Ray Milland also show up. It pulls from The Killers, The Big Sleep, Double Indemnity, Lost Weekend, White Heat, and more. 
I've loved this film since I was a kid, but again, I haven't seen it in a very long time. You get a brand new audio commentary on this as well as uh, some archival stuff, radio TV spots and stuff like that. So you ever seen the D- dead men don't wear plaid? I haven't. I have not seen it. I remember the VHS uh, cover very well, but I've never seen it. There you go. Cruella from Disney is being released. You get it from Best Buy. You get a steel book. Target has uh, an art edition, which has a new cover and two foil edged prints. Looks cool. Walmart has an exclusive version as well, but it doesn't mention what's exclusive about it. It does have a different cover, but I couldn't find any other information on it. F9, the Fast Saga comes out. You get a steel book from Best Buy, a Dolby Atmos audio track, no Dolby Vision again. Gag reel and a bunch of making of featurettes, uh, interview with John Cena, audio commentary, and more. Lionsgate is releasing Lady of the Manor. An aimless ne'er-do-well becomes a tour guide in a historic estate and winds up befriending the manor's resident ghost. Pretty strong cast. Melanie Linsky, Judy Greer, Justin Long, Ryan Philippe, Louis Guzman, and Patrick Duffy. Includes an audio commentary, but I think for me, the thing that sells it is a featurette on the making of, which is called A Fart Warming, Tales of Friendship and Vengeance. Also includes some outtakes and deleted scenes. I carry you with me. A gay couple from Mexico emigrate to New York, sacrificing everything they have to be together. Well, Go USA is releasing God of War 2, also known as Legend of Lubu. Years after escaping, Lubu has no memory of his hellish aerial life as a test subject for a ruthless imperial sorceress. Now he is feared across the land as the conquering general under warlord Dong Zhao, for whom he has blazed a trail of victories on the battlefield. When a woman arrives at the palace claiming to be his long-lost love, the facade begins to fade, Matt, and begins to realize that his closest allies may yet be his most dangerous foes. Shutter's releasing a couple films, Boys from County Hell and Violation, all previously streaming on Shudder. Scream Factory and IFC have teamed up to release The Vigil. A man providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his former Orthodox Jewish community finds himself opposite a malevolent entity. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing Throwdown from 2004. Brand new 4K restoration. Amid the neon-drenched nightclubs and gambling dens of Hong Kong's nocturnal underworld, the fates of three wandering souls, a former judo champion now barely scraping by as an alcoholic bar owner, a young fighter intent on challenging him, and a singer chasing dreams of stardom collide in an operatic explosion of human pain, ambition, perseverance, and redemption. The Matt Howell story. New interviews with the co-screenwriters and film scholars, a short making of documentary from 04, and more. Criterion is also releasing Love and Basketball, brand new for curation of that, supervised by the director Gina Prince-Bythewood. Monica and Quincy spent their lives, Matt, bonding over their mutual love of basketball, but something else got in the way of them being together. This time, Monica's not letting it go so easily. It's nice to see Criterion after their, it was kind of, you know, they did that, well, I can't remember who did it, they did that study and saw how much of Criterion's output was just starkly white. And they are really, uh, they hired, um, I'm not quite sure what the title was, but somebody to really beef up the diversity in their films. So it's good to see Love and Basketball getting earlies from them. Dementia 13, Francis Ford Coppola's very first film is getting a release, includes a director's cut, brand new 4K restoration as well of the director's cut included. Also has an introduction by Coppola, audio commentary by Coppola and more. Paramount is releasing a great real thriller, I think from the late 90s, called Breakdown, featuring Kurt Russell, J.T. Walsh, and Kathleen Quinlan. A man searches for his missing wife after his car breaks down in the middle of the desert. Brand new 4K remaster of that one, supervised by the director. A new audio commentary and some interviews, as well as an alternate opening 
Matt, do you ever see Breakdown of Kurt Russell? I haven't. It's a good one. It's a nice, uh, again, I'm going to use this term for the third time today, nice little genre exercise. Arrow is releasing the Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch. Extremely fun, Dea, adaptation of two soju horror manga into a single crazily FX-laden story about two rival shape-shifting sisters who are on less than good terms. However, when an evil creature makes an appearance, they have to overlook their differences and join forces to battle it. High-definition Blu-ray presentation. Original uncompressed mono audio, optional English subtitles, brand new audio commentary, a newly filmed interview, and more. Ronin Flix is releasing Haunt. On Halloween, a group of friends encounter an extreme haunted house that promotes, excuse me, or promises to feed on their darkest fears. The night turns deadly mad as they come to horrifying realization that some nightmares are real. It's available in Blu-ray for the first time in a commemorative two-disc set will treat fans to the original CD soundtrack. You get some posters and enamel pins. There's also a version in a replica VH box and more. Warner Archive is releasing a few films, Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman, the movie The Window, featuring Bobby Driscoll and Ruth Roman, and The Naked Spur, starring Jimmy Stewart. It's an old Western. Keno Lorber is releasing Bird on a Wire, the Mel Gibson Goldie Hawn flick from the 80s. Brand new 2K remaster of that with a new audio commentary. Masquerade, written by Dick Wolf of Law & Order fame, featuring Rob Lowe, Meg Tilly, and Kim Cattrall. New audio commentary on that one. Golden Needles is being released by featuring Joe Don Baker and Jim Kelly. Not the not the quarterback. New 2K restoration of that one. Macho Callahan, featuring David Jansen, Gene Seberg, Seberg, excuse me, Lee Cobb, and James Booth. Skull Duggery is being released as well. The brand new 2K restoration on that one. Paramount Catalog releases uh, Blue Chips. That's a Nick Nolte Shack movie from back in the day. Necessary Roughness in the Longest Yard. Wells Hardball all getting re-released on Blu-ray. Puff and Stuff is being released from Code Red. This children's fantasy based on Sid and Marty Cross' popular 1960s kitty show H&R Puff and Stuff. Just like the movie they made out of that. Matt, your uh, UHD 4K releases this week. A couple big ones. A Clockwork Orange and a special version uh, available in a Best Buy Steelbook. Well, really, the only special thing about it is that it's a Steelbook. Brand new 4K restoration of that, obviously, audio commentary. But basically, it's just all archival features on that one. And then for me, since I've never bought it on Blu-ray, Matt, I just had it on DVD. I will be upgrading this. Unbreakable. M. Night Shyamalan's follow-up to The Sixth Sense is being released as a Steelbook from Best Buy as well. Seven deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes featurette. And more. No new store, no new features, I'd say, that I found for that one either. But it'd be nice to get Unbreakable in 4K as well with a digital copy. Matt, your straight to DVD pick of the week in honor of your birthday, which is, I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I just thought, I just saw this title and I thought of you Cannibal Hookers, they'll love you to death. A woman escapes a religious cult but is still living a dangerous life. She turns tricks in Hollywood to get by. She crosses paths with the notorious cannibal hookers and joins their man-eating ranks. A renegade priest and a bounty hunter search the dark recesses of L.A. for her and the cannibal hookers. What should we be streaming this week? So out available now is um, the newest uh, comic book adaptation um, of Brian Vaughn's Why the Last Man. An unknown cataclysm causes every male mammal with a Y chromosome to suddenly drop dead. Except for one guy. York and his monkey ampersand who go on a quest to find out what happened. Um, seen the first few episodes. Pretty good. I'm enjoying it so far. 
And um, while you're there on, on Hulu, um, check out the new season of uh, Archer and What We Do in the Shadows with their whole new FX on Hulu thing. Hey, what happened? Is it just him <laughs> walking around asking that all the time? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I haven't watched your, oh, your Why the Last Man. I, I've, the reviews I've read so far, the shade is not that good. It's too exposition heavy. But I guess you kind of mm-hmm. got to do a lot of that when your show starts. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I guess no it's because I'm familiar with the comic and I know where it's going. So it doesn't bother me any. And I haven't watched Archer like in three years. And I haven't seen any of the series of what we do in the shadows. And I haven't seen, what's the other Take a YTT show? That's Reservation Dogs. I hear that's supposed to be excellent. And I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, it's on my list of things to watch. I have not caught up with it yet, though. Like an idiot, I started watching the first season of Titans for some reason. And I'm eight episodes Ooh. in on that. Wow. Okay. How's that going for you? Not great. Not great. Did you ever watch Doom Patrol? No, I felt like I had to watch Titans first because they have a little backdoor pilot for Doom Patrol in that first season of Titans. So that's what I thought I would do is watch Titans and then watch the first season of Doom Patrol and then watch like the second season of Titans. I felt like I don't think anybody's watching this show because I never hear anything about it online. Yeah. They just released a third season of Titans. So part of me kind of wants it to keep going because what if I end up liking it? So I want yeah. to try and start watching him just to give him a number. I, <laughs> I like I like uh, how he he says uh, I'm eight episodes in, and then and the next breath says maybe I'll start liking it if I keep watching. It. <laughs> I I I really I do I enjoyed Doom Patrol. I thought it was pretty fun. I didn't see any of Titans though. It's so violent, and it's it's just more of the dark, yeah. you know, DC stuff. There isn't an ounce of joy in it at all. I'm assuming Doom Patrol is a little better than that we'll it see. is it's much more ridiculous that's for sure and i still haven't watched nicholas winning reference show on amazon <laughs> really your boy yeah the man who i would uh yeah i mean his name pops up i'm gonna watch it for some reason i have not watched that show at all actually it's not true i'm like 30 minutes or 20 something minutes into the first episode and i just can't it's so just that it's so much static cam camera moment when nothing happens <laughs> you know and i just I don't know. I got to give it another shot. I'm traveling soon. Maybe I'll pop it in my uh, iPad to watch while I'm uh, on the plane. You know what? You're, you're just not a TV guy, Chris. You'd much rather watch uh, the thing for the 75th time. That's true. I'm just biding my time until that 4K of Drive comes out. Mm-hmm. Good times. All right, Matt. Let's keep rolling here and spend a few minutes talking about Mary Elizabeth Winstead kicking all kind of butt. Just ask yourself, what happens if Muse became John Wick? Well, you're about to find out. Sure you don't want to use the variable scope for this? No, we've got a lock on vector and trajectory. You hear that saying, listen to your elders? Big phrase, especially here in Japan. Oh, so you're an elder now. Elder doesn't necessarily mean old. It just means older, as in smarter, wiser. But hey, I'm serious. We blow this chance at seven, seven years. Seven years of hard work down the drain. So you do listen to me. I haven't missed once in 12 years. I'm not going to miss. All right, let's dance. All right, Matt, let's dance. Matt, let me ask you, do you like noir classics like DOA? Both of them? Do you like shooting? Boy, Matt, I may have the movie for you. Uh, yeah, I like shooting. I'm a fan of shooting. 
Nice. <laughs> so Kate features Mary Elizabeth Winstead as an assassin. She's an expert sniper, Matt, and she's brought in to knock out this Yakuza boss, right? And for reasons uh, we don't know quite know in the beginning. And then she ends up being poisoned by somebody. She's got some time to live, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever. She's got this little medication to kind of keep her rolling, right? Gives herself a shot every time she starts feeling worn down. So she can ultimately get the revenge she needs. And along the way, she picks up a young girl who kind of helps her and interjects some, air quotes, comedy into proceedings. And Matt, the John Wicking of the action genre continues. What are your thoughts on Kate? And is it a fun kind of action spy, shoot 'em up type revenge thing? Or have we seen this film just one too many times? We're yes, both- and, and yes. At times, yes. I think it's I think the the answer is yes and yes at times. I think there are parts of this film that I, I really enjoyed. There are visual spectacles in it that I thought were a lot of fun. I don't know yeah. if I completely buy Mary Elizabeth Winstead's uh, action bona fides or, or or her her fighting chops in this. I feel like she should have could have used a little more, a few more weeks at the at the range for some of this stuff. But overall, I think she's pretty good at it. Yeah, let me ask, and, let me ask you about that because it did look a little choppy to me at times. It almost yeah. slow. Yeah, it did. I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe, and again, I don't know if it's just because it's a lower budget movie and there wasn't a lot of time to do the training. You know, I mean, I know. She, was in Birds of Prey, but trying to think back to a movie that I never intend on watching again, I can't remember how much physical action scenes she had, even as the Huntress. So just maybe she's just not limber enough to do it. Maybe she just didn't have enough training, but it did seem a little plotting in, in parts. You know, I guess I can't complain about it too much because as as Keanu Reeves continues to get older, John Wick seems to get more and more plotting as we go along here. But, you know, at least I know that he spent, you know, months and months and months of learning how to shoot guns and stuff because I've seen those videos. But this, I feel like she just doesn't quite sell it as much as I would like her to. Yeah, and he got all the uh, Kung Fu training and all that stuff too from The Matrix, right? So he's had decades kind of preparing for that kind of stuff. He does. Yeah, I mean, there are some fun kind of stand-up moments in here, but I think they, they are too far in between to make up, I think, for the film's deficiencies. It's weird, because at some points, the action scenes are pretty good, and they're entertaining, and the shoot-em-ups are fun. Other times, like you say, they're kind of plotting, or they're they're slow or clumsy. You know, I think I think your point of maybe her needing to take a couple more weeks for the uh, training may have helped out. I think you're right about that. It's Listen, it's a cliched up-the-wazoo film. It's just another really... This is content. This is another Netflix. Churn them out. We got to get some people to watch for a couple hours content. That's what this is. It doesn't really bring anything new. Even the positives that I want to assign to the film, like the the neon-soaked side alleys and skyscrapers of Japan, right? All that kind of stuff is still something we've seen before. So it's just, I don't know. It's Like I said, it's just another, it's just more content from Netflix. I think um, Mew is solid in this. And I think I will say the makeup work for her as she progresses through this this night is top shelf. She looks battered and bruised as the film progresses. So I think that was pretty well done. Uh, other things I had issues with, I apologize, but Miku Martinow as Ani is just almost intolerable at times. She and at best she's a distraction. The she's basically the the light in the film. She is created to. Not only is she part of driving of the plot, 
but she's almost a MacGuffin because she, she almost doesn't really matter. And she's there to inject some levity at times. And it's just, what is the uh, old Casey Kasem riff there? It's ponderous, man. It's ponderous. Yeah, she's not great. I mean, she's definitely doing a kind of cliched, uh, you know, Japanese uh, uh, waifu girl shtick kind of thing with the the pigtails and the and the you know knee highs and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I don't. I don't think she brings a ton to the to the role. I mean, I, honestly, I thought Woody Harrelson was interesting, and maybe it's it's kind of weird kind of coming right off of our samurai marathon to see kind of like the stuff that they crib from all of those films, um, even into this. It's weird because we're, we're, we've this week we've reviewed two films that have basically cribbed from a lot of sources. Whereas, you know, malignant was a homage and it has some artistry to it. Whereas this, it just seems like they take a bunch of the cliche stuff and slap it all together and see if it, comes up with something and it's 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 passable like i didn't have a bad time watching it but it's not something i could definitely recommend no i i agree with you and and i think though i think harrelson is fine he also feels almost al pacino bruce willis-esque where he kind of just shows up you Mm. know reads his lines and then he just takes off for the day you know i really a very mercenary feel to his performance for me he just does these woody harrelism isms is that a thing and uh just kind of that's it and they also like the interject this joke about her trying to get this drink, this you know, throughout the whole film, which doesn't right. really invoke any laughter. And all it made me think of is uh, a far superior film, which is the uh, uh, the zombie movie with Harrelson when he's on the he's on the zombie land for the Twinkie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> zombie land. Thank you. So, really, just underwhelming fare, which is too bad because I was looking forward to this. I like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You know, she's great. Scott Pilgrim, come on, she's wonderful in that. And she's a lot of fun. Probably one of the best things about Birds of Prey. Uh, I always enjoy her. And this it's just, it's just, as you said, middling affair. So I ended up giving Kate a C. And I almost, I mean, I was sitting on a C minus for a long time too. But I thought, you know, I'm a middle-aged white guy. This film's supposed to be right in my wheelhouse. So we'll give it a C. Yeah, I gave it a C too. I don't think it's offensive enough to warrant a C minus. But it's, it's not a particularly great film by any yeah. stretch of the means. Indeed. If you had a chance to see Kate, which is currently streaming on Netflix, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Let's talk about our favorite James Wan scenes. Prep yourself, folks. This one volume is going to go up pretty high, so just prepare yourself. And it's spooky. Satana, Santa Michele Arcangeli, Defende Nosem Praelio. And that's why you don't do exorcisms in your house, Matt. Wish somebody had told me earlier. Seriously. All right. I just occurred to me that I never actually five through one to my list. I have a list of 10 things that I never actually picked up. <laughs> Got to do it live. Do it live. Good times. Matt, why don't you start us off while I do a panic selection? Okay. So I went and looked at uh, James Wan's... Um, director filmography. I I struggled with this list a little bit, so I'll do my best here. So number five is uh, a scene from a a film 
franchise that I don't like. I, I made no bones about it. I think I even said the last one that we watched for this, this show that I would never do it again. But just in its ludicrous execution, I would say the um, building jump from Fast and Furious 7, which is just so stupid that I had to throw it in there just for the sheer audacity and gall that James Wan had to put that in there. Oh, that's a good one. I excised all Fast and Furious films from my list. I didn't even consider them because <laughs> I, I just couldn't do it. But if I had to choose yeah. one, that would probably be it. I think that's right. All right. So then I'm going to say my number five. Like I know I can, I can commit to saying it's my number five. That I can do. I'm probably going to go with the decision. So that is, of course, at the end of Saw, when Carrie Elwes has to make the call. Matt, it's time to move. And he finally does what he needs to do. And I don't know. It's a what, 20-year-old film. I don't think we have to, I don't have to speak in spoilers. He basically has to cut his foot off to get out of his trap. I was going back and forth between that and the um, saw wire maze because that one still freaks me out. Mm. But in the end, that is the classic. It's really the core. Uh, and that's what even sparked the whole thing, right? Was basically that one thing. So that's why it's my five. All right. So number four is from our last film. I'm not going to throw out too much in the, to, into this. Um, I vacillated whether I should go with something that I thought was exciting or if it was something that I thought was scary. Um and I think I'm going to go with both. I think I'm going to go with the uh, the VHS reveal of, of Gabriel is probably one of my favorite scenes from that film. And there were some contenders for it um, to kind of go up against it. But I think that's really epitomizes the film as far as like what Juan's trying to do. Very good. Very good. My number four then, man, I went back and forth on this, obviously, because I'm just doing it now. But um, I think it's, I'm going with the, the opening to The Conjuring, which is where we're introduced to Annabelle possibly the scariest thing in the entire film and set the set the tone for the rest of the series well relatively but still that opening um with annabelle is some top shelf stuff very creepy very disturbing and uh yeah so there you go that's four all right so my number three is in insidious um where they are basically having the seance and you see patrick wilson with the mirror and then briefly just for a second you get a a flash of the red demon um giving you the the smileys for the jump scare uh james Wan does have some very effective jump scares in his films so that's my number three very good um that's my number three as well actually okay is the demon in the reflection over patrick wilson's shoulder there when he's like yeah that is that is one of the best jump scares i can think of really yeah so uh yeah no that's a good one pick obviously because i agree <laughs> all right so my number two then is where james wan really leans into all of his ridiculous tendencies and i can't tell how much of this is james wan and how much it's not but when the crab people start coming out in the battle scene at the end of aquaman i just laughed out loud i was so on board with how stupid this all was and i really like appreciated that they really leaned into the ridiculousness of aquaman so yeah that's my number four the the kind of crab people emergence from the bottom of the ocean that uh happens in, in aquaman my number two as well is the final battle in aquaman just how ridiculous yeah. you have you have uh, uh uh willem dafoe riding the shark right yeah <laughs> and i was going back and forth between that and the trench creature scene which is really awesome 
and I'm mm. very upset that they canceled that film. But still, I think in the end, just that final climactic battle just perfectly exemplifies how loopy Aquaman really is and why it's so much fun. So I agree with you there as well. So what's your All one? Right. So my number one is the one that immediately came to mind. And it's the thing that still sticks with me, I think, out of all of his films. It's in The Conjuring. The most famous part is obviously the the clap scene um, where the mother is going through the actual house um, playing uh, the, the hide and clap game. And then those hands come out from the shadows from right beside her head. Freaked me the hell out. It's so, it's a, so simple, but very, very effective. It gave me the chills the first time I saw it. No, that's a great pick. That really, maybe that should be my four and replace the Annabelle opening. But uh, you're right. That's a good one. Um, I ended up going with the, I don't know, maybe it's recent recency bias, but I went with the malignant reveal. The uh, the VHS kind of capture of what's really happening this whole time, coupled with that scene in the jail cell, which for me is possibly an all-timer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Zoe Bell is in that scene too. I don't know if you know, and it's this weird anachronistic collection of people who yeah. are plucked out of the seventies and eighties <laughs> as well. They happen to be in this just, you know, cavernous jail cell. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, absolutely wonderful. So, but that reveal and malignant for me is just, I think the crowning achievement of Juan's career. Yeah. Yeah. That, that jail cell scene was on my list. Cause that was crazy good. I did not piece together that Zoe Bell is the mulleted troublemaker. Um, that, but now that you say that, it, it just kind of came to sharp relief for me, which makes me like it even more. There you go. Do you have any honorable mentions? No, I mean, really, the only one that I kind of uh, excised, like I said, was the the kind of overall scene from the jail cell, plus the, the kind of uh, action set piece as they move into the actual police station itself. It's some pretty creative uh, uh, kung fu going on in there. Yeah, and how they film that, I guess how they man, it's, there's so much I want to talk about, but I can't because I don't want to spoil it. But the how the bad guy does the fighting and his movements and how they did yeah. all that stuff is just fantastic. It's just so much fun. Um I also had the reveal in Dead Silence, which I think is an underappreciated film, but I have a thing about creepy dolls, so that might be part of it. And uh the music box from The Conjuring, I think, is a strong one as well. And then finally, I think from Conjuring 2, the uh, Valak with the nun painting. Yeah, Valak is pretty creepy. Super creepy. So there you go. What's your favorite James Wan scene? We would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week, are you excited? Um, should I be? I know I know. Karen is our second film, correct? Oh, yes. <laughs> Cry Macho. So it's Clint oh, and Karen. Yes. Yes, I am not excited for this next episode. Oh, I I booted Annette on the calendar because we shifted to October for Halloween. So it was supposed to be Kate, Karen, and Annette. But I, I swapped that out for uh, The Empty Man to start off our horror-a-thon type stuff for October. Oh, well. So it's an even minier marathon. But yes, Clint Eastwood returns and Cry Macho after retiring from acting three films ago. He returns again. And uh, also we'll be discussing the... BET film that is supposed to be absolutely just glorious, Karen. I know Matt's really excited about that one. Super excited. I'm more excited about Cry Macho because that just, I, yeah, I've been super impressed with uh, 
late Clint Eastwood output for sure. Oh boy. <laughs> I wonder if we should do our five favorite Clint Eastwood scenes or moments or roles. I don't know. Instead of who that, that might be a little better. We'll have to think about yeah, that. That'd be fun. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll read that review on the air. And uh, I guess, Matt, that's going to be it for this week. i got to tell you, I really thought this show was going to be a lot longer. But I found, as we were talking about Malignant, there's just so many things we can't talk about. Because the whole thing with the film is you have to go in as cold as possible. Mm -hmm. That's disappointing. It is. Well, you can... Talk to your lovely wife about it. I'm sure she'd be super interested. Oh, yeah, totally. She loves horror films. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to go ahead and then take an extended break. Take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We love you. We'll see you soon. It's time we cut out the cancer.